0: Finally, we're back with an all-new episode of the Mastering Agility podcast series. Unfortunately, sometimes you have these periods of where you're just not in the right mental space to create new content, and unfortunately, that happened to me too. A lot was going on, finally became a professional Scrum. Uh, scrum.org trainer, a PST, a lot of other things were going on. Finally, we're back with an all-new episode of this podcast series that aims to inspire you and others to by bringing in the best of the business into this show as always my request to go to the website of mastering subscribe to the newsletter or join the discord community server link in the description in the show notes and i'd love to see you there already a lot of people who joined thank you very much for doing so i would love to see this community build more and more now, as for today's show, I'm talking to Kai Stevens. I think he's one of the most outstanding product owners out there. And we're talking about how to be a product owner in remote and hybrid environments. Things have been challenging and now we're at the end, breathly of the pandemic. But how are we going to continue doing so? And what what kind of tricks does Kai know that can help you be a product owner in this challenging environment? Hope you learn as much from him as I did. Let's welcome Kai. Kai Stevens, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Sandra, thanks for having me in your podcast. It's, it's an honor. I'm doing great. Uh, it's exciting times at, at Tado where I uh, where I work. Um, yeah, so doing great. Thanks.
0: What makes it, what may, what makes it so exciting at Tado?
1: Yeah, maybe to give a short introduction for people who are not familiar with, uh, with Tado, we are a, uh, a smart thermostat uh, uh, throughout uh, the whole of Europe. Our products are, are offered and we intend to uh, allow everyone uh, to enjoy uh, uh, smart heating and, and cooling. Um, so that's how Tado started uh, now 10 years ago. So the company now exists for, for 10 years. Um, and it's our ambition, also with all the developments in the uh, energy uh, energy market uh, today, uh, with the electrification of uh, of heat, for example, um, uh, to play an even more central role role in uh, a home's energy management. Uh, so that's uh, that's what we're working on. And um, uh, yeah, I joined Tado uh, three months ago or four months ago in in October. Um, and I think exactly at a moment where we're now making the first steps towards, uh, uh, let's say, beyond our, our current product lineup that's aimed at uh, uh, heating uh, a home with gas fires boiler more efficiently. Um, and we're now making the next step towards a, the, the electrified uh, uh, heating setup that you will see more and more uh, in the market in the future.
0: Is the remote environment making your job easier then? Because you're working with the entire part of Europe. Um, has this pandemic helped you move forward?
1: Well, I think the pandemic literally helped me move forward uh, because before the pandemic, uh, Tado, uh, Tado is located in Munich and I live in the, in the south of the Netherlands near, uh, near Maastricht. Um, and before the pandemic, TADO only worked with people who could work uh, physically from the, the office in, uh, in Munich. Um, so before the pandemic, uh, joining TADO would not even have been an option because uh, I would live uh, too far away. Um, and even when I started to, um, uh, to consider uh, moving on to a next uh, uh, position, I didn't consider approaching TADO while well, it's exactly the company I like to work for. Uh, because I still had this thought in my mind, like, yeah, they're in Munich, it's, it's too far away. And then uh, through a former colleague of mine, I was linked to uh, my colleague Dominique, who is the head of product management at, uh, at Tado, and uh, he suggested, hey, uh, shall we have a talk? Uh, uh, and then I was still thinking, because back then I was still working at uh, my, my previous employer, Eneco, so I thought, oh, he wants to discuss some kind of partnership between Tado and, and Eneco. Uh, and I said, no, actually, I would like to uh, uh, discuss uh, uh, if you would be open to, uh, to join our team. And I was like, huh? well, uh, they are in Munich. <laughs> How would that work? And then, and then he shared that because of the pandemic, they learned that uh, uh, working remotely uh, actually uh, turned out to be uh, working way better than they thought um and they had a lot of troubles finding talent in the munich area uh, so uh, tado decided at least for certain positions decided to uh, uh to open up for remote uh fu- fully remote work um yeah so i think uh, i should be uh, thankful for the pandemic uh, in that sense uh, because before the pandemic i mean i can still remember conversations also with the previous employers about working one day from home right that was then it was like wow, that was really special if you were allowed to work one day uh, from home instead of being five days uh, at the at the office. Uh, and I think uh, not only TADA, but many companies uh, out there learned that the value of uh, increasing your range where you can look for talent is way higher than requiring everyone to be uh, at the office at, uh, at all times.
0: Do you think that's ever going to be changing back, that we're going back to the office full-time?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I uh, there might be companies, but I, I think especially the the uh, the the tech companies who really struggle also to find uh, talent. Uh, I think for them the the value of having this wider uh, area to to recruit within uh, to find people in is, is is way bigger than going back to uh, the the value that being all together in the office building every day, uh, uh, brings uh, obviously there's also uh some some challenges when you fully work re- uh, remote right so it's it's not that it's all better than when you're physically at the office uh but i just think that the the scarcity uh, of talent uh is is a big reason to to stick with this uh, this hybrid uh, model
0: how's this because you i think you're when you're one of the most high regarded product owners product managers and let's let's dig into that that topic a little bit later, but I think you're one of the most high regarded product owners um, that I personally know. Has this affected your ability to deliver your job other than the geographical benefits?
1: Overall, I, I can't say there is a difference uh, uh, to be honest. So we have all the tools available uh, to, to do the things you need to do as a product owner or product manager to maximize the value of your product. Um there, there is, however, things that you have to change in your ways of working, right? So um, well, I'm not in Munich, so I can't uh jump into a room when it's really needed with, with some people and, and grab them together and say, Hey, now we really have to uh, uh to figure this out. Um so that all works a little bit more difficult remotely. Um, for example, if you can't access your and users physically to interact with them you also have to find new ways to 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 learn about the problems right that's all a bit more difficult with a screen uh, in between i would say um but after doing this now for yeah let's say almost uh, three years I, I i can't say there's a in the end there's there's a difference there there are other things that have a way higher impact on your success than the question if you're physically uh uh uh, present at the office or uh, working remotely.
0: What do you consider those things? Because you say there are different things that are impacting your ability to to succeed. What are those things to you? What does that mean?
1: Um, I, I think that uh, let's go back to the the principles of how you can be successful as as a product manager. Um, uh, for example, if you go to the Agile manifesto and you take a uh, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, um, how do you collaborate with a customer if you can't be physically together in a room, right? Um, the, the pitfall, for example, um, uh, when you do a remote meeting is that you have less interaction or that you uh, uh, have less creativity in that meeting uh, with uh, with that person that you try to collaborate with. Um, so you have to learn new tools and tricks and, and formats to make sure that, uh, that same level of interaction and creativity is present in the, in the digital room. So to, uh, so to say,
0: has the body language, for instance, affected your ability to read the stakeholders needs? I think, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's good to listen to stakeholders. I mean, you should, but it's also good to see their, their, their body language. Uh, read read the things that they're not saying has that has't that had an impact on your ability to uh, let's let's stick to stakeholder management has that limited your ability to do that stakeholder management
1: yeah recognize this right so normally you, you can read a person when you're physically together it's easier to to read a person's face or, or overall body language and then ask another question uh, uh, or or uh, Plan a one-on-one because you notice that person is a bit jumpy or whatever, and and some of these uh, these signs they they fade away uh, in a remote uh, remote setup. Um, so I think it's it's even more important to um, uh, set up uh, moments and also think of formats where you can uh, neutralize that right that loss of information that that passive information that you would. Usually get uh, in the physical uh, physical world. Um, that's a matter of attention, right? So just making sure that you have this one-on-one with that uh, with that stakeholder, uh, but also about setting up more interactive formats in the in the meetings that you have, so that everyone is actually heard. So you could use uh, liberating structures online, for example. Uh, you could use uh, digital whiteboards like Mural and Miro. Uh, where you visualize these emotions uh, that might be inside of your stakeholders. So, for example, uh, in my early days at Tado, we had to discover a certain new feature idea. uh, And then I uh, ran a workshop around the question, how can we possibly uh, make this the, the, the biggest fuck up ever in Tado history? And... That unlocked a lot of insights of what was going on in in the minds of some of some people, right? And then we could discuss, uh, okay, but uh, uh, how can we prevent that from happening? And then uh, rather soon we came to a good uh, good plan of uh, or a good approach to uh, yeah to tackle those uh, those concerns. Um, yeah.
0: What other kind of formats do you use to to contain these kind of things to unlock what what what's inside your stakeholders? Because this is one, and I guess this comes from liberating structures as well. But I think that's a really interesting topic that a lot of ben, uh, a lot of listeners would benefit from. Like, what what other formats do you use?
1: Um, to be honest, it's not it's not really uh, besides celebrating structures. It's it's more about <laughs> it's hard to explain. Having a sense for when you should make that interaction happen. And then in my experience, it, it doesn't, the format doesn't matter too much anymore as long as you take a format that makes these things uh, surface. So it can be uh, a, a brainstorm, it can be a liberating structure uh, uh, that you use, uh, for example. Um, I would always recommend uh, in such a session to use breakout rooms uh, because you always have a few people who uh, uh, who don't uh, speak up in the, in the bigger group, right? Uh, so just think of formats that, depending on your audience, uh, make sure that everyone shares their, yeah, their input, their ideas, and also their their concerns.
0: Do you actively um, eng- try to engage those who are less uh, less vocal? Because it's it, what I noticed personally. That's really easy, and gradually it becomes more accepted in a lot of organizations that I, that I encounter that your camera is shut, is shut off. is it's, it's off during the meetings. Um, and that makes it even harder to read what people are thinking or how people are feeling, let alone the fact that it's a lot more easy to get burned out because people don't signal it. It's, it's, I mean, I mean, it's, let's say you have a shitty day. And you just have your camera off as always. No one can see that if you're in physically in the office, it's really easy to see, and it's harder for people to push that away. Now people just close their lids of their laptops and they could start crying for, for all we know, we don't know because it's, we, we can't see that. How do you actively engage people that are less focal?
1: um well like i just said by by breaking up in smaller groups so that already uh lowers the barrier for them to uh to to speak up uh sometimes by approaching them one-on-one right uh, uh, to, to really create a small a small setting uh, to uh, to discuss uh things um and also by asking specific questions right so if you ask a very general question to a person you can get a very general answer but if you ask like specific questions like uh, Hey, which of these three features did, do you now like more or, uh, what do you think we could do to, uh, make this a, a 10 out of a nine? Uh, so try to ask more specific questions and you will also get more specific, uh, answers, uh, is my experience.
0: Makes sense. The sprint reviews are usually already challenging in person. Let's say you have a physical product. You want to put that in the hands of the customer. Um, and see what happens as much as possible. Uh, A/B testing, for instance, is a lot easier when it's actually in the hands of the customer. How has this remote working thing affected your ability or your team's ability to check those things out?
1: Yeah, so so maybe it's, it's better to refer back at my my last time at ANACO here, uh, because at Tado we work a little bit differently. We we're not following an a exact uh, Scrum process with it with a sprint review. Uh, but we have weekly iterations with really small uh, internal team uh, reviews and then there's more a periodical review where we exchange with uh, the wider organization. Um, what I'm going to say also accounts for a situation at that, but I think the example of Eneco is, is a little bit more clear where we really had these uh, remote sprint reviews but with many stakeholders from uh, the business uh, present and when we just switched, uh, just had switched to uh, remote working, uh, we of course set, uh, easily set up a remote a remote sprint review. Uh, but after two or three reviews, we noticed that we were merely presenting slide decks because that that was what felt most comfortable to most people uh, in a remote setup. It was like, okay, I share my screen, I show some slides, and I tell my I tell my story. We had uh, six teams sharing their. Uh, 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 their sprint results right so it was six times a slide deck of uh, of, uh, of 30 minutes
0: that's by PowerPoint <laughs> So, so and,
1: and of course we, we tried with, with with parallel tracks so that uh, stakeholders didn't have a sprint review of, of three hours etc but uh, even with that we saw that uh, we were losing the attention of, uh, of the participants because we were just uh, uh, yeah submitting uh, uh, data to them without much uh, much interaction. Uh, and what we did then is was we, we tried to spice it up, right? I also wrote a blog about uh, about this. Um, you can run uh, a quiz, for example, so you can um, uh, activate the brain. So I think the best thing to do in a remote sprint review is to actually... Make the brains of your participants work instead of make your own brains work, right? So uh, <laughs> uh, start start with a poll, and they will be hooked up to the topic, right? Because you you activate their brains, they start uh, thinking themselves. Oh, how how would this be? For example, uh, you might ask some kind of statistic, uh, like uh, in the terms of a smart terms that you might ask, uh, how many uh, cubic meters of gas did we save last month? And then you can show four four numbers on the in the poll, right? Uh, and these kind of things they can they can engage your audience with uh, uh, with your sprint uh, uh, sprint review. Um, when there's like an important milestone, I would like to do run a more elaborate quiz. So I, I would really use a quiz uh, using Mentimeter, for example, or Kahoot, and then uh, do a quiz and, and give some prices away. Um, there's a lot of things actually that you can do to have a different kind of sprint review than just sending uh, slides. It just requires some uh, courage and some time, right? Because uh, you, you need to, f- to experiment with these formats, um, especially when there's important stakeholders there, like uh, the CEO is coming into the room. Uh, some people are afraid to actually try things out, right? And I would advise, don't be afraid, just try it. Uh, and if you're working in a good organization, that CEO should appreciate or will appreciate uh, that you put in efforts and try new ways to uh, get more value out of uh, of such a, a, a uh, event
0: i think people are very reluctant of that in general because of fear like what if it's not what if he doesn't like it what if the ceo doesn't like it then what what's the worst thing that has ever happened to you in such a case
1: you mean when it didn't work out yeah uh, nothing ever happens uh, then then was like oh yeah next time we try something else uh, uh, what uh, happens yeah maybe you you sometimes with um maybe sometimes you ask for some input and there came zero response right so you your whole setup depends on the uh the investment of your audience uh, in making that event a success and sometimes uh yeah, somehow it didn't resonate or maybe they were just tired or uh and then when that interaction doesn't happen, but the whole format is aimed at that at that way of interacting with each other. Uh, yeah, you notice that the the engine starts to like rattle, and yeah, in hindsight you're like, okay, this this didn't work out really really well. Um, in the end, uh, you shouldn't be too uh, harsh on yourself here. I think even if you got some value out of it, even if it's just learning, oh, this format doesn't work with uh, these this audience or, oh, uh, uh, this format uh, could work better this and this way, that's also value that you get out of the session and you try something else uh, next, uh, next time.
0: You feel, or you seem to be really open and, and very curious to experiment with this. I can also imagine that you have teams who are, less willing to do so. How can you get people into such a flow of experimentation, being vulnerable? Because this has a lot to do with being vulnerable, uh, vulnerable as well, which I really appreciate about you. Uh, I mean, if I look at your LinkedIn, for instance, and the way that we uh, communicated in the past on the serious scrum slack, when it comes to writing, you're really open, really vulnerable, Um, but that can still be a difficult thing. How do you get your team members engaged to, to display the same level of vulnerability
1: um, I think it starts with displaying that vulnerability yourself uh, in, in the organization and towards your your teams right lead by example uh, show that you you try something and uh, uh, show that you also try some things that didn't work and show that nothing nothing happens when it doesn't work right so when people see that they might get uh, the, the the confidence that they that they should also try, uh, try out something. Um, and you can also help them by uh, slicing down uh, the steps towards um, towards these more interactive ways of, of providing a sprint review, for example, uh, by suggesting something small. So, for, for example, what we did in the times at Ineco was like, have uh, really you noticed that? Uh, uh uh some uh some team members uh, were less comfortable with a, a organizing a quiz or whatever and then we encouraged them to at least uh after three or four slides put in a poll right and 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 ask a question to the audience and that was the first step towards more interaction uh and then they saw that uh, there was excitement or that there was a positive response from the participants saying that they actually liked this and then they were oh maybe we can do three questions next time and that way you can make it a bit safer to them to uh, to experiment because you make the experiment a bit uh a bit smaller
0: yeah and there is a misconception there at least a review is different from a demo and that's what you're underpinning here as well a demo is just sending information, right? It's one dimensional. Yeah. Whereas what you did with Eneko is, is two-way communication. It's really getting that feedback and talking to people, the reading their emotions, getting their their ideas. Is that you mentioned that you're not doing that with Tado, and that's more into the pragmatism, I guess. How is that different from? and uh, from yeah, it's
1: good to uh, to explain a bit so this is happening within tado but um, we, we're not following uh, the scrum framework within uh, tado it's it's even shorter cycles i would say so uh, it, within tado um uh, we don't have a sprint review where this happens but it happens when it happens <laughs> so uh I, I would say we have many uh, uh, sprint reviews um uh, and many uh, moments where there is uh, uh, a conversation around, hey, what should we do next, and 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 uh, what uh, uh, what should that entail? What should be inside of 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 that thing that we're that we are building? And then there's a constant dialogue with uh, sales, customer support, uh, and all these crucial departments to make a uh, a new product work. Um, uh, uh, it's only not glued to a scrum. Uh, Scrum-ridden, Scrum-framework within uh,
0: No, So you're basically doing the exact same thing as what Scrum is telling you, except in a different uh, chronological order. It's not necessarily at the end of the sprint, but just continuously throughout.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, our our roadmaps, for example, some teams don't even use roadmaps anymore because we're changing so often that the roadmap is always outdated. So then there was no value in the roadmap, so we threw it away. Um, within the the group that uh, that I'm responsible uh, uh, for, we develop hardware products. Those have a bit more lengthy timelines because it's hardware so there we still have have roadmaps Uh, but I would say um, Tado is an organization that's so closely uh, uh, designed to work upon the agile uh, uh, principles that it went beyond Scrum and actually Scrum would would actually slow us down if you look at the maturity of the organization in terms of agility and and competence. Um, so, of course, I'm also a Scrum trainer at, uh, at Scrum facilitators, where I teach people how to use Scrum as a product owner. And I always say uh, Scrum is is absolutely your best friend uh, uh, to to get to know agility uh, and also to go pretty far on that uh, on that journey. But at some Points. And for some types of products, like very complex smart home products, like uh, Tone back in the days when I worked there, and, and Tado being a uh, consumer electronics hardware product with very intelligent software behind it, uh, a Scrum process can be uh, uh, can be slowing you down. Um, so uh, you should always assess in the nature of your organization if Scrum is a framework that actually. Is the best fit to your organization or not? And again, at Tado, we work in, in one week cycle, so you could call it a one week sprint. Uh, we have a planning, uh, uh, we have uh, we have retrospectives. Uh, so so many elements of Scrum get back. We just don't call it uh, uh, call it Scrum. And I think the most important ingredient in our product development organization at Tado is that we work in truly autonomous uh, cross functional teams. Um, so that means that every product team is responsible for a specific product or part of the product and can deliver their, their value independently from other, uh, other teams. So that also uh, enables us to um, apply lightweight processes because there's very little alignment uh, uh, in the daily work needed between uh, uh, individual product teams and other product teams.
0: Yeah, a couple of hooks because uh, I think this is a really interesting direction. Um, how do, going back to those roadmaps? How do you ensure them or ensure relatively ensure that you're still somewhere aligned with your product goal? I mean, the people are, that I work with typically already struggle on the, the longer term. How should how does that relate to our product goals and how does the the future look like? Um, if you're not working with roadmaps anymore, how how do you, you work then?
1: Yeah, so uh, we are using OKRs at, uh, at Tado. So we have uh, company uh, OKRs that come from the company vision, and then we have uh, what we call uh, product development organization OKRs uh, uh, that uh, bring focus to uh, all the, the the product development uh, teams within, uh, within Tado. And the interesting thing to mention here is that they provide focus. So, for example, at this point, we have... Uh, two objective key results for the whole product development organization, Um, uh, while there's way more going on in the product development organization. But top down, there's two things of which uh, uh, management has said, these two things are the most important things uh, to to achieve. Uh, And they bring guidance, uh, but leave still a lot of room for autonomy in the teams on how to maximize, uh, maximize value. And in some teams, we still have roadmaps because they have value. Because we talk about somewhat longer timelines to be able to to release something. If you have to develop hardware, you are always talking about months of development before you can really release a product into uh, the hands of your of your customer. Of course, we try to make that more agile by iterating and working with prototypes, etc. But a real release that that always takes uh, takes rather long. But more on uh, uh, the Tado app side of things, for example. We noticed that um, the insights of how to maximize value change so uh, often based on uh, developments in the business, uh, changes in the marketplace, new feedback coming in from from end users that this roadmap only caused confusion because you're all the time busy explaining like, oh, no, now now I change again. So the roadmap, I think, transformed more into a storyline of what is the mission of this team and what are uh, the anticipated most valuable next steps for this team. Um, and because we know that, uh, the further you go in time, it will change again. We don't reflect it anymore in a timeline, a, a roadmap, a sequence of things, but there's always, every team has, uh, starting from the product vision, uh, a sensible story of what are sensible. Uh, next steps, and then we continuously val- validate these ideas, right? So we continuously uh, run product discovery, and then based on that discovery, this plan changes again, and then we update each other on that plan uh, by uh, by just simply sharing that. Oh, that's pretty awesome, man! That's
0: cool to hear. I uh, like the book related to OKRs, uh, measurable matters by by John Doer. So anyone listening to this and and thinks this is this sounds really cool, I can highly recommend this book and I'll include it in the show notes as well. Um, but this is something where I really got hooked and in, into the OKR parts, which indeed what you're saying aren't different from roadmaps, uh, but make it really tangible to still strive for a goal and what what how to get there. Uh, yeah. A little while ago, we had Jürgen Appelow in, in the show talking about flow KRs, OKRs with flow it was a really interesting discussion as well. So if you want to know more, read that book as well as listen to that episode. Uh, it seems to me what, like what you were just describing that you're not specifically using Scrum, uh, you focus on the, th- the thing first, that's most important. Does Scrum fit within our organization? I think that's already a skip that many organizations a step that many organizations skip, like what's the problem that we're trying to solve, and does Scrum really fit into that that issue? Into that complex issue with adaptive solutions. But also, if I hear you correctly, you've tried Scrum, Tato has tried Scrum as is and then evolved from that point on. Is that correct?
1: Um I'm not sure if Thdo ever really tried scrum to be honest that that uh, would have been before my time And I would have to ask I never discussed it before so when I arrived uh, in october uh, the we just launched our new product development organization uh with with the cross-functional team so that's something that's that's very recently uh improved in the organization um so i I, uh, I don't know if uh, if we ever use scrum or Uh, tried something else or had this this Tado kind of (laughs) process in place already uh, uh, before that. What I do know is that um, uh, some time ago um, these cross-functional teams were not yet in place. So there were many more dependencies between teams and and more silos, right? So you had like embedded engineers who worked in a embedded engineering team, uh, uh, for example, or you had all the hardware engineers they worked in the hardware team. So uh, then... Uh, people came to them and said, "We need some new hardware for for this feature or this thing that we want to bring to customers and then they would list the requirements and build that hardware. Uh, and the significant change that we now made is that those disciplines now work together on a dedicated product. So for example, we have our, we have our smart radiator valve and in the we call it the room control team because these radiator valves they give you heating control over a specific room in your home. And the room control team has all the disciplines, including a hardware developer, to uh, uh, to, to discover new uh, uh, new wishes from our end users and translate that into a new hardware product uh, uh, that we can develop and bring to the uh, to the market. So there's a hardware developer, but also a embedded developer. Um, uh, there's there's a plastics engineer, uh, but there's of course also a product designer, then a product manager. Uh these kind of disciplines are all in the same team so that they can together think of this uh this new product to uh, to build.
0: That's pretty awesome. Is that really is that very different from organizations that you work with prior?
1: Um well I think in, at at QB uh uh as uh, so the daughter company of Ineco, before we were merged into uh, Ineco, we, we went through the same process, uh, starting with components teams uh, way before I joined QB in 2017, then transitioning to semi feature teams. Uh, but we still had a design team and a mobile app team, for example, uh, who were like dedicated teams just focusing on that, uh, uh, that skill set. Uh, And then at QB, we transformed to the the, the QB value stream model, which was basically the same idea, like like put all the disciplines needed to autonomously uh, deliver a part of the value of the product uh, uh, so that you reduce dependencies between teams uh, and that you uh, uh, simplify prioritization in your company. And I think that is an essential part of successful product organizations is that you uh, simplify uh, the alignment uh, within the company by reducing these inter-team dependencies.
0: Do you visualize those as well? Those those dependencies, because we talk about dependencies a lot. But how do we make sure that those a are really understood, and b that they're that they're worked with?
1: So that's a tip when you work in a uh, company where, where you feel there's still many dependencies between teams, a tip is to start visualizing that. So uh, before we did this transition uh, towards our QB value streams back then at QB, uh, we had this, um, we called it the epic wall. And every Thursday we would, uh, we would gather around the epic wall with all the product owners or some representatives from the teams and the stakeholders. And we would discuss progress towards the most important uh, objectives. Um, and uh, at one day, a colleague suggested, "Hey, let's take some wires and wire all the uh, uh, the, the the issues or the epics or the the PPIs that are depending on another team. Let's wire them with each other and see uh, visualize how many dependencies are there. And then we were like we were like really flabbergasted by the result. It was this huge spider web of wires going yes. everywhere. And that really helped also senior management realize like, hey, so much time gets lost in in tracing those wires and managing that one thing is finished in time and managing that if it's not finished in time that the other team has work to do instead of the thing that they now need to wait on for the other team to, uh, to be finished first. Uh, so the more you're able to uh, reduce those dependencies uh, the less waste, of course, in 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 those kind of uh, alignments in your product organization, and by visualizing that, that can be a first step in starting this valuable process of designing a new product development organization uh, that's better fit to reduce these uh, these dependencies.
0: Do you think that we're still, in general, visualizing those kind of things too few? Uh, for instance, the, the, not necessarily the roadmaps, but the short term. Versus the longer-term goals. How does a sprint goal, for instance, relate to the product goal? What are the steps in between? How are we relatively to that? Because we can discuss our our goals and our progress right here, but it's difficult, a diff, not difficult, but different when you visualize that. It's more tangible. Do you think that we're doing that too few?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. And um, At all the places where I worked, I saw that from one side... Um, leadership struggle to visualize what's now really most important to the company. <laughs> uh, mo- most of all, because uh, it, it often it's hard to decide what is actually most important for the company, right? So that's where it starts. It's like uh, if you select 20 things, there's nothing most important to the company because there's too much, right? So referring yes. back to our, our OKRs at Data, we now have for Q1 two OKRs from the management layer, that's communicated towards the product development organization and there's way more that that's valuable to the company Uh, but just to send a clear message of what's really most important only two right i've also seen situations where there is (laughs) 10 or 20 or even more objectives that's being sent towards teams and then they then they get lost again and then Referring back to Scrum, uh, uh, before the new Scrum guide was released, there was no product goal. So you had a product vision and then you had a sprint goal. And that's just too big of a leap, right? So um, from the team perspective, um, it's too much to ask from teams to uh, fill in that link themselves between that sprint goal uh, and the product vision and a good product owner also without a product goal can tell that story, right? So it's about storytelling and, and uh, keep engaging with your team to make sure that they understand. Um, but uh, I was personally really happy with the product goal being added to the sprint. Sorry, because that was really the gap. The, 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 the most important gap that I saw in, in the Scrum framework is that you jump right away from product vision as far as Scrum tells anything about that, right? So it tells, well, there's probably a vision. That's basically it. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden there's this sprint goal that, that brings direction on, the, on uh, uh, the time frame of a, of a sprint. Um, at least with this product goal, I also the Scrum guide, of course, uh, tells there should be one product goal at a time for a Scrum team. So that brings focus just like we did now with Intato limiting ourselves to two OKRs. Okay, one product goal. Uh, and then at least it's super crystal clear for the team uh, what's the, the most important midterm objective towards that longer-term product vision. Uh, product vision in general spends three to five years. Well, that's that's way too far away.
0: Especially when you're working with products like Tato that continuously change. But they also took out the product vision in general out of the scrum guide. Co- seems to be causing confusion at times. And what do you think is the difference between those? And how do you work with uh, still incorporating uh, a, a product vision? Do you still do that? And how does it relate to your to your product goals?
1: Yeah. Um, so there, there should always be a product vision, right? No matter what uh, what what framework you use, um, uh, and also in Scrum, there should be a a, a product vision. Um, and then there's multiple ways to break that down to sensible objectives, right? You can use OKRs or you can use the product goal within the Scrum uh, uh, framework, uh, but at least be sure to um, build in the right levels of granularity from that really big, hairy goal, <laughs> uh, towards something that's achievable enough for an individual in your organization to engage with. Right, Something that's too far away that doesn't feel like reality, that doesn't feel like something you will uh, be achieving soon and that doesn't reward a individual in a individual team. Um, so um, I always say it's better to have an imperfect story but start telling it and and, and like we just mentioned, repeating it uh, in my last period, uh, uh, working with QB and Ineco, I was fully responsible uh, for the whole uh, 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 product lineup of Tone. Um, and um, I, I just started, there were a lot of unclarities back then because we were migrating into Ineco. It was not clear what the strategy, uh, what the way forward exactly would be. Uh, so there were a lot of reasons for me to say, no, I don't really have the story ready. That uh, We have to wait until this decision is made or this direction of the company becomes more clear uh, there's tons of arguments to uh, postpone telling the story and I would advise uh don't don't fall into the trap because um the value of telling a story and again being vulnerable in telling that story like hey this is what I really know this is what I don't know yet, but I'd rather tell you the story now and update you. Maybe next week it changes and I'll update you. But I'd rather do that than keeping you totally in the dark, right? Yeah. Uh, because if you go for the ladder, teams will start filling in for themselves. Uh, and worst case, you end up in this feature soup, right? Every individual team interpreting what's most important themselves. Uh, and you do a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah, that really, like, in the last episode with uh, with Lawrence Bonema and Lila. Uh, Laila Nuya, I, we were talking about tons. There's always a next sprint, which seems to be a corporate disease where indeed, where you don't focus on what's most important right now. So it kind of relates to what you're saying right here. That story, that narrative that's most important at this point. If you do that as soon as you possibly can, then you're going to avoid cluttering all that features, cluttering that that fluff till you get to the feature soup that you were saying, I'm going to. Be using feature soup more often than I like the term. <laughs> hey, now what I noticed is that your LinkedIn title changed from product owner to group product manager. Is there a difference?
1: <laughs> this is an interesting topic, right? Uh, so, uh, it's, it's like, I, uh, I, I, I switched sides, right? It was, uh, when I was asked to join Tad, I was like, Ooh, I'm, I'm not going to be a product owner anymore. <laughs> But soon after I started talking with Dominique, who was the head of product management and with other people within Tado, I noticed that there was not really a difference between what I've been doing the past decade. So discovering value, um, focusing on uh, your customers' problems first before thinking of solutions, uh, translating that in a sensible strategic storyline and then chopping that up in an actionable plan together with a development team, Um yeah, uh, that's what I did uh, the past ten years when I was a product owner, and uh, that's what I still do now as a product manager at uh, at Tado. Um, so yeah, the name is different, but uh, my experience so far after after four months, and I don't think it will it, it will change. I'm I'm doing the same thing, exact same thing as I've been doing, um, uh, but then with a different uh, different name.
0: Well, why do we need a different name then?
1: Um, yeah, I don't really care about the name, but you could say product owner is tied to Scrum and Tado is not using Scrum, right? So that it doesn't make really much sense to use that name while there's another name around already for a while. Um, but in a sense, having the, the two names is confusing, right? Because it, it it suggests that something different, well, actually it should be, uh, in my opinion, I know there's a lot of opinions about it, but in my opinion, it should be exactly exactly the same thing. Um, of course, where the difference comes from, I think, is in the misconceptions of both roles. Uh, so if you look at product management, then especially in the past, before the digital er- uh, era, the product manager was sometimes this type of person who was in an ivory tower far away from the people developing the product, writing down requirements and then uh, shipping those requirements to another department in the company who started a, uh, a development phase. Uh, and then uh, at a certain point, it would present it back to the product manager, and uh, he they, they would say, No, no, this is not what I uh, <laughs> what, I, what I wanted. Uh, of course, to to put it really, really black and white. And I think the opposite direction, the product owner sometimes has become this tactical clerk of a, of a Scrum team, and above him, uh, maybe even a product manager or some other kind of people who really decide on the strategy the vision, the strategy of the product. And the product owner is some kind of tactical clerk who makes them sure that that plan is executed uh, together with the development team. Um, and, and that's not how the role is intended to be. Uh, and I also think today the product management role is not intended to be this ivory tower kind of man or woman, no, exactly. uh, but is intended to be exactly the same as a product owner, someone who understands agility and is able to collaborate really closely with a uh, a product team or development team to discover value and, and together maximize the value of uh, of the product they're building.
0: Yeah, exactly. That was my next question. Is there a difference? Because th- those are the names of the, the role and the accountability in Scrum. Is there a difference between the activities? I mean, if we're looking into practice, is there really a difference between product management and product ownership?
1: Uh, in theory, it shouldn't, right? Because both roles are responsible for understanding uh, uh, the market, understanding uh, the the target audience of your product, their problems, and then together with a product team, translating that into a solution that can relieve them from that frustration, problem, pain, uh, with with something, uh, 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 with building something smart. Um, so, in theory, it shouldn't. Um, If you look at uh, how the roles sometimes are defined or blueprinted in organizations, I understand where the uh, uh, idea comes from that it's it's something different, right? Because, yeah, uh, the product owner role sometimes is this tactical clerk. And then if you just only see that pattern, then you feel it's something totally different because the product owner is not involved in the in the product vision strategy pricing uh, market segments these kinds of business related uh, related topics
0: do you think that we're losing pragmatism here do you think that we're focusing too much and either doing the execution of the scrum framework or any other agile or even scaling frameworks that we're focusing too much on doing that right or are we doing too much on the other hand Are not doing that at all, and and just focusing on the product itself? Do you think that we're losing pragmatism in solving the issue at hand?
1: Um, I mean, if you look at the discussion in the agile community, uh, I I, I think we're missing the point, right? So these discussions about should it be product owner, product manager, I, I think we shouldn't care that much. We should care about building healthy product development organizations. Um, uh, where the craft of, um, truly understanding, uh, your markets, your customers, their problems and translating that to, uh, solutions is, uh, is developed, uh, no matter what name you give that person or that group of people even who take care of these responsibilities uh, to build a successful yeah. product. So in that sense, I agree that, um, it's way more valuable to ask the question how can we make sure that these parts of product development are covered? Uh, uh, then that we ask ourselves the question which person of wh- or which role or which name should take care of that, right? So in that sense, I fully agree that uh, it, it shouldn't matter.
0: I was curious about your opinion because the, both these will be topics in future episodes where we'll be looking into the, losing the pragmatism in product development with Anthony Murphy and having a debate between Martin Dalmijn and Willem-Jan Ageling when it comes to product ownership versus product management uh, and product development. They seem to be uh, on the opposing side. I
1: think it will be a really, really interesting uh, discussion. I know they also have, uh, at least Martin, I know is, that uh, he is also uh, having a strong view on the on the yes. topic, right? So really looking forward to, to hearing that. And in the end, I think it's okay that we all have our opinion about it, right? So, it's more important that organizations, regardless if you use Scrum or, or not, learn the, the the foundations of how you can uh, maximize the power of the people actually building your product. So the developers, the designers, how can you maximize every hour they spend uh, on coding or, or making a new design, right? So uh, look at what's needed to, to achieve that and forget about uh, uh, the name of, of the role, or even the script, the, the framework that you're uh, you're using.
0: Focus on fixing the issue. Get it done. Exactly. <laughs> hey, for people who want to know more about you, where can they find you, and where can they interact with you?
1: Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. That's the best. Uh, that's the best channel. So just uh, uh, browse me on uh, on LinkedIn and send me an invite or send me a PM. Uh, I also have a website. Uh, it's uh, skystevens it's dot uh, com. Uh, um, uh, maybe I should update it. <laughs> no, that I mentioned it. So LinkedIn is, the, is actually the best uh, channel, uh, or my website. Uh, you can also find my my contact details there. Cool.
0: And you mentioned that you're teaching courses for people who are now very inspired. Where can they find your courses?
1: Uh, they can find my courses at uh, uh, scrumfacilitators.com. Uh, uh, um, dot com. Uh, and we are actually a, a group of, uh, uh, well, uh, all PSTs except for me. I'm not a PST, so I'm not allowed to give a Scrum.org training all by myself. I always co-train uh, the trainings. Um, and we give all uh, Scrum.org courses, but I obviously focus on the product owner course because product management, product ownership, that's kind of my, uh, my passion, my thing. Um, so I teach the, uh, the PSPO and the PSPO A course with, uh, with Scrum facilitators
0: awesome also that will be included in the show notes say hi to your colleagues scrum facilitators for me thank you very much for being here really appreciate it, man
1: thanks a lot again for inviting me and uh it was a great pleasure you're
0: most welcome definitely was
1: don't you just love this guy
0: i know i do thank you again for being here kai and as well as you guys the listeners thank you so much for being here I hope that you're going to join the Mastering Agility Discord community and help me grow the platform as well as connect to all those other people who are aspiring agilists, who are agilists themselves, who are struggling, who need help, who just want to connect, discuss specific topics, share their content, share their events. This is a community that's really built for you, for the community itself, for to develop. And that's the whole reason behind this podcast to help people grow, to inspire people. I hope I'm going to see you there. Thank you again for being here. I hope that you're going to join again next week. Until then.